Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, July 1st, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 3, entitled More About Alcoholism, on page 37, the second paragraph down, beginning with, You May Think This an Extreme Case. Today's readers are Judy F., Rebecca, Judy B., and Melanie. And the share ID number for yesterday's special edition on Sunday, June 30th, is 4720. 4720. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Lois, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Uh, Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I will pass. Thank you. I will now call on Marietta to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. Marietta from Virginia. 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God is to express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never be, excuse me, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, and lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money and property or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting to claim outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And this is Marietta, and I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker's should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 37, second paragraph, beginning with, you may think this an extreme case. And I will ask Judy F. to begin reading, please. Judy F., star one to unmute, please. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Judy F. from Massachusetts, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You may think this an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched. For this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was always a curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning. There inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. 
Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. And this paragraph to me shows clearly that the insanity takes place in the mind and not in the body. That that I had the idea that this time it'll be different or I can I can take it this time. And then when it shows, says meant the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. And you know, trivial excuse is not a good reason to pick up the compulsive bite. A trivial excuse for me was, oh, I need this to study. I need some energy. I need, I need me a pick-me-up. I need to get through this difficult sales call so I'll just have something sweet to get me through it. Well, I'm, I can't wait till dinner, so let me just have one of these. Well, it's only... I can just have one. I mean, there were all these, it was never a good reason. Food was never a reason to to solve my problems. And that's really, at the end, that's what I was doing. I was, I was eating it to get me through something, to um, calm me down, to give me energy. I mean, and that's not what my binge food did for me. My absent food, that does help my body but it has nothing to do with the mind and, and, and the emotions. And I use food for everything. And it, it ran out, you know, the sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. And, um, and all reasoning was driven out to the lie. And I told myself a lot of lies so that I could get what I wanted. And it's all about the thinking. This paragraph also is about powerlessness, that no matter what, no matter what I learned, no matter what situation, the insane idea won out, and I was powerless, and I, I would take that first bite. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, JDF. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Lois. Uh, could I share? Sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. What page are we on, please? You'll find us on page 37, second paragraph down. And Lois, go ahead. Okay, I, was, I wanted to comment on that um, that paragraph that we just read, and I lost my place here, but we were talking about it being an extreme example. You know, for uh, for m- most of us, all, out, all recovering compulsive overeaters, well, it certainly, you know, had been in my past for 30 years, but I wanted to share that, um, you know, th- this happens, you know, we are, I, I, what I realize is I am, I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I, I, have, I have the privilege of being in recovery, you know, one day at a time. I am never totally cured, and I've learned that, you know, I've learned it all kinds of different ways, and, you know, luckily I've been learning it, you know, in, in, in being recovered. But I wanted to share that um, just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was I was at the grocery store and I I was looking I was going to buy some scallops you know very expensive great big base scallops fresh and I said oh that that's good so 
I I had the you know the idea just like Jim suddenly you know I said I could probably have breadcrumbs on that you know I I mean you know I could have breadcrumbs and um, you know and luckily you know I I was aware of that and I had the you know I was awake and I was aware and and I was clear and I was I wasn't um, bogged down with um, trying to um, get get an effect but the, my thinking you know got my attention and and I was very very grateful for that and I I did talk about that and shared that with someone and and I know it, it gets me back to uh you know humbly asking God daily you know to keep me in um in spiritual spit spiritual condition and which is a, an action that I um I take every day in in my morning meditation just wanted to share that with other people too thank you and I pass Thank you, Lois. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Katie from Boston. Monica. I heard Katie and Monica, and then we'll catch the others. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie from Boston, Massachusetts. I am a recovered compulsive overeater and uh, grateful to be on the line this morning. Um, When I got to this part of the the reading with my sponsor, um, we talked about you know, I love uh, thinking about, you know, the lies that I tell myself. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I thought, like, if I reflected upon the consequences at any time, like, you know, getting, you know, not being able to show up to work, being um, completely um, hungover from food or being so anorexic that I can't process food, you know, um, that didn't matter because there was always some little quirk, some little, oh, but you know what? That might be going on, but the truth is I deserve this. You know, the truth is that um, they're making me mad and, and, and that food is not my problem. It is the only solution that I have ever known. And so inevitably I would apply my thinking, which is based on lies, to, to I, it, would, it would become the truth. You know, I could never eat or drink on the truth. I could never say to myself, this is going to end me up in a hospital in Florida because I can't work. I can't relate to other people. I, I can't do anything but eat, and I am driven by that. You know, and, um, and I'm grateful, too, that, to know that this curious mental phenomenon, like, thank God today, I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body, but I am still a compulsive overeater. I can't put flour and sugar and other substances into my body, you know, and I have to watch for my lies, my lies and my fears today that if I'm not careful – they can drive me, and I know I say this all the time, but if I allow resentment and selfishness um, and self-seeking behavior to drive me, then eating is going to be a step up because I'm going to say, oh, you know what, they, they, they're not like me. I'm unique. You know, I have a reason to eat today. You know, a reason to put thousands and thousands of calories into my body. Like, I never thought that what I was doing was extreme, and, and the things that I did you know, that I worshipped bottles and boxes and thought that they could cure me, you know, and thank God today I know no human power, right? No human power can help me, and I don't have to rely on my own reasoning. You know, I have had, I have a relationship with God today who helps me, you know, go to him and say, okay, you know what, God, this is a good idea, and you know what, Katie, you need to slow down there. You need to listen to others, and um, I'm just grateful for that. I'm grateful to know that you know, my thinking is the problem, and God is the solution to any problem that I have. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. 
Monica, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, how exciting here. This is a very, very, very important paragraph. I've got it circled, starred, all in pink. And what we're in a chapter more about alcoholism. And the first 100 here are trying to teach us in this chapter that we have a mental obsession part to this twofold disease. This is the greater aspect of our disease. And they're spending this whole chapter giving us all kinds of examples to teach us so we can identify that we have this happening. We have this mental phenomena, this curious mental phenomena. And they're saying this in the beginning of the paragraph, they're saying, to us, it's not far-fetched. This kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. 100 recovered alcoholics together are saying this. Every single one of us. That we have this mental phenomenon that parallels, that goes along, that matches with our sound reasoning. And they're inevitably... Uh, ran some insanely trivial excuse, trivial, unimportant, meaningless, of little value, excuse for taking the first drink. All right, so we've got two types of thinking going on here in our heads. We've got good sound reasoning, and then we've got this insane, trivial, excuse-type thinking for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. You know, and that insane idea will win every single time on my own. All the times, for years and years, my insane thinking won out. My self-knowledge, all the knowledge I had, didn't do anything against it. All the determination didn't win out. And all the uh, self, uh, um, and all my willpower didn't have, didn't have a f- thing against this. This insane thinking would win every time. This is where I was totally, totally powerless. You know, like suddenly the crazy little thought would come in my head. You know, like was mentioned earlier, you know, a few little breadcrumbs on something. And it would win out because I'm powerless and I need a higher power to help me here. And this is where God comes in and this is where we need to work the steps so we can get this relationship with him because he can beat out on this, this crazy, insane thinking that we have. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Eileen? This is Anna. This is Patricia. Is it, is it Eileen and then yes. Janice and then Patricia? Go ahead, ladies. Okay. Thanks, Leah. Um, I'm looking back at this other paragraph about the, uh, the I, I, I. You know, that's all I had in, in my brain when I picked up was the trivial excuse of what was going on with me, the self-absorption. I I didn't even consider what it was going to be like to pick up again. I just blatantly went out and started eating. And then the insanity 
uh, took hold of me. I could not get enough. So uh, I I was just listening to Monica, and uh, it, it is. It's insane. Everything that I learned in program for five years prior just went out my earlobes. The insanity went out. So don't, if anything, listen to that trivial excuse. I lost my job. My mother's sick. Um, whatever. That it's going to win out every time. You've got to stay on the pathway of the sound reasoning and stay on the pathway of asking God to pull you through. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Eileen. Go ahead, Janice. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So here we are, yes, in a chapter more about alcoholism, and we're talking about Jim here. We're talking about Jim. And who was Jim? You know, Jim was an alcoholic of the most critical variety. You know, he was an alcoholic who had plenty of alcoholic experiences behind him. Plenty of them. Plus, he had been instructed, he had now identified himself as an alcoholic. He knew, he identified with these people carrying the message to him that yes, he was one of them. He was one of them. But self-knowledge availed us nothing. You know, the big book teaches that to us clearly. Self-knowledge, yes, he knew that he was an alcoholic. Yes, he knew that he had these alcoholic experiences. But once again, he was trying to do it by himself. You know, he was trying to do it by himself. And I, I like to remember here, and the big book is teaching us here, that he picked up when he was sober. When he was sober, he had not picked up a drink. And the thinking, his thinking, caused him to take the action and pick up that first drink. And that happens to us as compulsive overeaters. I don't know about you, but it happened to me as a compulsive overeater. I was abstinent. None of my trigger binge foods in my body and I could not stay stopped. Once stopped, I could not stay stopped. And inevitably, that insane thinking would have me pick up again. Now, I did not like that word insane when I first read it. How could that be me? Insanity? But how could it be anything else? Because despite all the evidence, despite all the evidence of the harm that this disease did to me, despite all the many times I said, this is it, this is never happening again, I'm not going to do this again, I am done, everybody's going to be so happy to see me on this path of recovery. But inevitably, it would happen again. The insane reasoning would be what was ruling me. The insane reasoning would win out over everything else. And they said, this is how you are, Janice. This is how you are as a compulsive overeater. This insane thinking, you have no defense against that first bite. None. And when this happened to me, 
I could see it. How could this lack of proportion, this ability to, inability to think straight, be called anything else? You know, and sometimes it says we've reflected more than Jim did. You know, because Jim said, oh, I, I didn't even think about drinking. You know, sometimes we thought about eating and we still could not stop ourselves from picking up. You know, nothing, nothing. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check because the insane reasoning would win out. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Patricia, please. Yes, did you call me? I did. Go ahead. Yes, I, my page is flipped. Oh, I hate that. Anyways, this is Patricia from North Carolina, compul- recovered compulsive overeater. I just want to share on the um, but the word always. <laughs> that really, you know, studying this, I love studying this, and this is such a powerful, powerful chapter to help me to see that always, that that curious mental phenomenal um that was parallel to the sound reason it always because in the doctor's opinion it tells us that my my compulsive eating life was the only normal one so my my um so this disease always won out it because i didn't know that in, it ran it didn't walk with the insane um and the insane trivial excuses it ran with it. That's all my life ran with was those excuses to eat. Everything was to call oh, this will make this will make it better. You know, the the extra ice cream will make the party better. You know, having that extra piece of cake, you know, oh that'll make the party better. Having, you know, more chips will make the boredom go away. Whatever, you know, it's gonna help. Whatever whatever feeling I have, whatever is going on, whatever crisis, that extra food is going to make it better. I have a stomach ache. Oh, it has some food. Maybe you're hungry. You know, I mean, it was crazy. And it ran. You know, it always ran with that insane trivia excuse because my overeating seemed to be the only normal way to deal with life. Seemed the only way. The only normal way. You know, like it talks about in the doctor's opinion, and that insane idea always won out. It all and and I love this because that's my disease. It was like wow when I saw that that was my disease doing that. Wow, you know, you know, it's not just that craving in my in my body when I eat the sugar or flour or whatever, but it's that this right here, the insane idea. Always one out, and I and when I ah, oh, that was just so, and it still is. That is still like an I'm in awe with that. Wow, that was my idea. That was my disease. That was talking to me, talking to me. I mean, it actually talks to me and convinces me. What in the world? You know that I just love this. Anyways, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Lay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says, you may think this an extreme case, reflecting on Jim's story, of course. To us, it is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. Uh, we're reading more about alcoholism, Chapter 3, uh, more about alcoholism, the obsession of the mind, which is the greater aspect of the disease. So it says here, to us, this is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. What the big book is teaching here is that all action is born in thought. Um, you know, that uh, 
tin of brownies just didn't fly off the counter and down my throat unless I made a decision to ingest that substance. So most of Chapter 3 of the big book is devoted to the insanity that stems directly from this obsession of the mind. Uh, what was it goes on to say here, we have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. What was Jim's uh, insanely trivial excuse? Well, his idea, his grand idea was <laughs> suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I mean, that's what a great idea that was. You know, so that was the thought that suddenly crossed Jim's mind, and he made a decision that that was a good idea, and he acted on that decision, and that's the insanity that we're talking about here in the big book. Um, remember, the physical craving of our substances doesn't begin until after it's already in our system. Yes, Jim is allergic to alcohol, that's true, but the physical craving doesn't begin until after there's already alcohol in his system. So that means that whatever it is that makes Jim take that first drink is entirely in his mind. It also means that all of Jim's recovery needs to take place in his mind. And the same thing is true for me. You know, I relate perfectly to this. I remember, you know, I was in college and I was eating sanely for a number of months, uh, three meals per day, you know, and I was at goal weight and I was feeling better. And suddenly the thought crossed my mind that a candy bar wouldn't hurt me. And so I stopped off at a, you know, convenience store, and I remember I bought this, you know, king-size candy bar, and the experiment went so well that I had another. <laughs> and then I had some potato chips, and then I had a few donuts, and then I went through the drive through and I added some ice cream to my menu, and thus started one more journey to the asylum uh, for Leah. Because that sound reasoning, that insane idea won out, you know, and there was always insane ideas like that. You know, I'm eating in my car, so it doesn't count. I'm, I'm in the dark, so it doesn't count. I'm standing up, so it doesn't count. I just exercise, so it doesn't count. Uh, you know, I'll only have one. I'll, I'll only have two, I'll only have three, you know, I never tried this before, I never ate that before, I'm feeling tired, this food will pick me up, or I'm feeling anxious, so food will calm me down, or I'm feeling happy, so it's time to celebrate. There was always something. <laughs> I'm resentful at somebody, you could just fill in the blank of the day. So, I mean, this is the insanity that the big book is talking about. This is the insanity that the big book is talking about, and again, it all stems from our thinking. And it also means that all of our recovery is going to need to take place in that same region, which is between our ears, in our mind. Let's move on to the next paragraph, please, with Rebecca, if you will. Good morning. This is Rebecca S. from Connecticut. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm so grateful to be here with everyone this morning. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, 
anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of pre-meditation of what the terrific consequences might be. And I'd like to share on this paragraph. You know, I've been thinking about how blessed I am that I've been introduced to Overeaters Anonymous by by using the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to learn about my disease. Because I can totally get that an alcoholic can't pick up a drop of alcohol, but as a compulsive overeater, it never dawned on me that my disease was the same as an alcoholic's disease, only with my binge foods and binge behaviors. And by reading this text as it addresses alcoholics, it becomes so clear to me how my disease is the same and that I can't pick up that first bite like an alcoholic can't pick up that first drink or even the first sip of the first drink. So before I knew better, before I came into these rooms and learned this clear message, I didn't know that I couldn't have a little. And um, I would deliberately get drunk on my food. And I didn't know that once I picked up, once I took that first bite, that first bite took me. I just thought, it was what it was, and that was my life, and it was my lot in life, and um, I, maybe I could control it, and that I was a bad person, and that made me miserable, and so I ate, because that's what gave me ease and comfort. So it all came together once I realized I'm just like an alcoholic, and that if I drink um, I mean, I'm sorry, if I eat um, deliberately or casually, frankly, my um, binge foods or overeat even my non-binge foods, um, I'm going to trigger that phenomenon of craving for more of the same. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rebecca. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Leanne. This is Anne Marie. My name is Leanne. I heard Leanne and Anne Marie, and then we'll catch the others. Go ahead, Leanne. This is hi. This is Leanne, recovering um, compulsive overeater, and I am reminded of um, go in a different room. This is reminding me of um, the feelings and thoughts I had when this all began for me. It seemed like I couldn't stand myself really early on in my life, and I started a cycle back then. Um, I was so uncomfortable in my skin 
that I thought starving and restricting was the greatest idea. It's the only thing that brought me any relief. And then um, by the time teenageism hit, the binging started because of the starving. And, and like I couldn't even, there was no bringing my head up for air. It was just a constant cycle of starve and binge and starve and binge. And um, the only way that I was able to recognize any of these things they're talking about here, anger, jealousy, worry, depression, is if there was a stop put to that because I was so far gone in the cycle that there was no thinking anymore. There was never a break. didn't matter what I felt. I was just a hopeless victim of um, this, this horrible cycle. And um, I never had um, a period of relief from it um, until until I was hospitalized. And then once there was like a, a forced stop, I saw, you know, how how my mind worked and how I was so programmed, really programmed for destruction. I had no kind of, my mind had no room for other things. It had no room to think about, you know, what I wanted to, how I wanted to live my life or future or anything. I was just so stuck in the obsession. And um, that is one of the key things that helped me start listening to God through a sponsor was really believing that I was mentally ill and that there was just no way I could stop this on my own. Um, so that that just brings me that reminder of how long ago it started and, and just it just drives it home even clearer. There's no hope. It has to be a power greater than myself. And um, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you. Anne-Marie, on what was read, please thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Hi, this is Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. I'm so glad to be here today. And, yeah, the justification. Um, So many times I just said I had no idea um, what I was feeling. Um, I just said, I just want to eat. That's all I want. I don't have any feelings. And, um, you know, working this program, I can now feel the feelings and talk to someone, you know, do a 10th step and get through and see where my selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, or fear come in. I I could not even think that way when I was in the food. All I thought was I need to eat because I feel, it wasn't like I was feeling jealousy or nervousness for me. It was just I felt uncomfortable. And I remember, I did not remember the hangover or the staying in bed or the vomiting or the feeling sick. I did not remember any of that. When this uneasiness came up within me, all I remembered was the comfort that the food gave me. It's a crazy, crazy disease, but that's how it works. And, um, you know, it says here that, um, you know, we justified. You know, I was looking at these two words uh, in the previous paragraph, you know, reason and excuse. And I have a note here that we never have a reason. We only have excuses. And in the dictionary, a reason is a, um, a, a good judgment, sound reason, good judgment. And an excuse is to seek or abstain exemption or relief, a relief for oneself. And it's true. I just wanted to get some a relief. I just always had an excuse. There was never really a reason. 
it was just an excuse for me to get into the food because I remembered the the comfort that it gave me. And, um, you know, this certainly is a, a warning. Someone mentioned yes, uh, a couple of days ago about the warnings, the promises, as they have promises and instructions, and there's also warnings. You know, in this last sentence, you know, we now see that we began to drink deliberately, you know, and, um, you know, as my uh, disease progressed, you know, it was deliberate. I just did not want to live and I wanted to harm myself. And how could I do that? Just stuff myself until I felt sick. So I could have an excuse, you know, to stay in bed. So I, ha- I could have an excuse so I wouldn't have to show up. And, um, you know, this, these paragraphs in here, this chapter is just so full of, um, um, just, it's just so full of so much. So thank you so much. Thank you. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Monica. Um, Monica. This is Leah. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Leah. This is Monica once again. Okay, here we are. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified, justified, defended, excused, supported. Now, in the paragraph before, we were still talking about we're talking about Jim here, and in the paragraph before, it was, you know, those sudden thoughts, those sudden thoughts that we act upon without thinking. Now they're telling us in this paragraph, now there's other circumstances, too, where we set out deliberately, intentionally, purposefully to get drunk because, oh, you know, I'm feeling a little unease, I'm pissed off at somebody, I'm jealous, I'm depressed, you know, um, that... Our, these are, you know, drinking or eating is our default mechanism. When when something goes wrong, when some, when when, he, when we are uneasy, restless, irritable, and discontented, rid, that's our default mechanism. And it says it will happen to us whether it's a sudden thought or we go out deliberately to eat. It's crazy. It's crazy. Our thinking is crazy because we don't think we're not able to remember the pain of the last binge. And they're saying, we are blind to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happens. And it is. It is. Why do we want to kill ourselves with this food? Why? You know, we think it's giving us ease, but it's killing us. We don't see that. We're not able to because of this obsession of the mind. You know, our thinking lies to us. It tells us all these crazy things. When we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation. Premeditation. A thought or consideration before an event. And there's no thought. There's no, there's no thinking it through of what the terrific consequences might be. It's just not there. It's just not there. You know, this is not how a normal person thinks. But this is how our brain works. We don't think it through. We can't think it through. And we just thought we, you know, we got a good excuse. If you had my uh, problems, you would eat too. 
So this is all very good information here that the big book, that these 100 recovered people are telling us. You know, there's the sudden thoughts that pop in and we just immediately act on them. And then there's the thinking where we think about it a little bit further. You know, we deliberately plan our binge. Okay, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that. And that's all we can think of. We can't think about, oh my God, how are we going to feel after we're bent, after our binge? Or even during part of the binge. You know, you get to that point, you, you've had a few bites and it's like, oh my God, I'm going to hate myself later. I don't care, I'll just restart tomorrow. Type of thinking. This is what they're talking about. And I will pass with that. Thank you so much, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Judy? Judy, go ahead. Thank you. It's Judy F. again from Massachusetts. A couple of things about this paragraph. Um, One, when they were listing all the different emotions, it reminded me that I lived my life by emotions. My emotions determined what I did. And if I had any negative emotions or even happy, extreme happy emotions, I would turn to food because that was my solution. I had no God in my life, and I that the food would take care of those emotions, and that drove me to the food, and I wouldn't even think about it. The other thing I um, on Friday nights I would I would plan. um, At first, I didn't think it was going to be a binge, but I got a lot of food, and I was just so psyched to get home to my apartment, have the get some movies, and I was going to have a great pig out, I would call it. And then I still, and knowing, uh, actually, having planned time with friends that weekend, like a Saturday night or Saturday, and uh, I never then would go because, of course, once again, I would be on a food hangover. I would feel disgusting, hate myself, and not want to see anybody. And over and over, every weekend, that same thing would happen. And I, but I would plan to have, well, this is, I need to have, um, I, you know, I worked hard over the week, and I just want to go home, be with myself and my food, and um, it'll be fine. I'll still do what I need to do on the weekend, and I'll still want to go out. And I never did. And it's it just, again, the insane idea went out, and I de- deliberately, you know, planned my binge, but I did think. I didn't go through the consequences, and if I did, I didn't care. I wanted what I wanted, and with that, I passed. Thanks. Thank you. And Katie, please. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um and I just wanted to, um, I just, it's, the thought is, is we, I, I thought it was just this fleeting thought. I, I tried to figure out what was it, what was the one thing that made me go pick up the food again. And it wasn't one thing. It was the whole lack of, of, um, of thinking that, of what the consequences would be. It was, you know, it says in some circumstances we've gone out deliberately to get drunk. It doesn't say we went out deliberately to get drunk for the next three months. That was never my thought. I never thought I'm going to do this and then I'm going to be pounding my head 
against the wall again, you know, three months from now or six months from now or three years from now because I can't stop. I did not think it through. I did not have the ability to stop myself from starting. And that is what this is talking about is that, you know, we have these many thoughts of justifying our actions and think that, you know, well, I'll have a mini thought to get out of this. And it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. It never, ever happened. I was not able to stop myself from starting, and I wasn't able to stay, um, to keep myself from continuing. And I didn't understand that. I didn't, I tried to justify my behavior because, you know, if you had, and, and you know, so many times I, I went off of my uh, diet or food plan or whatever I was on because someone asked me to go out and eat. I mean, of course, they had no idea that, you know, ordering nachos was going to set me over the edge and, you know, that I would be back off the, you know, wagon because I didn't understand the great nature of my disease. And, you know, if this is an insanity that they're describing, you know, and if you don't identify, then, you know, go get a diet. Go join Weight Watchers online if you think that's what you can do. But I can't do any of that stuff because it is my problem is in my mind. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. This is Leah, a recovered compulsive overeater. It says here, in some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately and deliberately, of course, means uh, willfully, intentionally, voluntarily, right? I volunteer for this. I do this deliberately. I do this willfully. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. But, but even in this type of beginning, we are obliged, we're forced to admit that our justification, our excuses, our reasons, our explanations, our defenses, that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient. It's inadequate in the light of what always happened. It's inadequate in the light of what always happens. We now see that when we begin to drink deliberately, again, when we begin to pick up that first bite uh, intentionally, when we when we willfully pick up that first bite instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. I want to remind uh, all of us of the analogy that the big book offers. Let's say on page 24. It says there is a complete, I'm in the middle of the page on page 24, there is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. This is an analogy that the big book makes a number of times. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. So, so it would be as ridiculous, as insane as saying, you know, I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling uh, depressed. Therefore, I'm going to stick my hand in a hot flame and melt and mangle my flesh because I'm nervous, because I'm anxious, because I'm worried, because I'm jealous, I'm going to stick my hand in a flame. I mean, you would, 
you would know that that's insane. If you came into my kitchen and you saw me melting my flesh in the fire on top of the stovetop, you would say, Leia is insane. <laughs> that's insane behavior. And yet, that's exactly what I did. I'm not stupid. I'm pretty bright. I have a fairly good memory. And I've burned my hand before on a hot stove. And I remember that. I remember putting my hand on a hot stove accidentally. And I remember the pain and suffering of that incident. But binge foods and compulsive overeating has been burn me over and over and over again. But for some strange reason, left to my own devices, left to my own resources, a real compulsive overeater like myself can't remember what compulsive overeating does to me. All I think about is what it's going to do for me. So is Jim's real problem that he has an allergy to alcohol? Or is Jim's real problem that he has a form of insanity that tells him it's okay to mix alcohol with his milk? That's the insanity that the big book is teaching about. That's exactly what the big book is teaching about, is that all action is born in thought, that we believe this lie. And what is it that's going to restore our sanity? According to the big book, it's not going to be our inner strength. It's not going to be our willpower. It's not going to be our determination. It's not even going to be any other human creation. None of those is enough to restore us to sanity. We can't restore our sanity on our own. We're going to need the help of a higher power, a power greater than ourselves to do that. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we close this morning? Rose? Rose, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Uh, good morning. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And I, the only thing else I want to add, is nothing is needed to be added from what everybody said, but personally, in the previous um, paragraph, was the curious mental phenomena. The curious mental phenomena. The words are so well chosen to define and describe um, what the mental uh, situation was like. And then in the paragraph that we're in right now, um, that there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. And this insane reasoning, insane reasoning, um, as we're reading this, I, I look I, over the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes I found myself in as the ones that were mentioned this morning on the meeting of of having that hoard of food, of having that um, stash of all of it weighing 250 pounds, knowing I'm eating another candy bar, another box of cookies, another bag of chips, Another God knows what it was this time, submarine sandwich. Putting it on, adding it in, can barely move as it is. Um, the emotional um, elements that were brought out, I think, are like perfect. I mean, uh, that I was justifying the nervousness, justifying the fear, justifying the anger, justifying the worry, 
justifying the depression. None of it was my fault. And did I have any clue, any clue that what I was lacking was a power to restore me to insanity due to the insane state I was in? And the answer is no. And then... I'll pass with that because it gets better as we go along here. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Rose, and thanks to everybody who shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., will you please read a vision for you? Certainly. Can you hear me, Leah? Yes. Okay. This is Judy B., our recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Be of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.